Welcome to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Tony Brew, an internist and hospitalist in the greater Boston area. And I'm Avi Cooper, a pulmonary and critical care physician in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm Hannah Abrams, an incoming medicine intern in Boston, Massachusetts. Today on the podcast, we examine the effects of normal saline on the kidney. Avi wrote a tutorial looking at why there seems to be such an association between the use of saline and acute kidney injury, and in this episode, we're going to learn more about it. So, Avi, how did saline, as perhaps a problematic therapy, swim into your ken? So, I want to say that, you know, first off, that saline has saved countless lives throughout the world from, like, diarrheal illnesses and other hypovolemic states. So, I don't want to knock it, you know too badly. And if I, you know, if I had cholera in the early 20th century, like, absolutely, please give me saline. And, you know, it's gotten a bad rap, but it's it's really more that we have, like, better alternatives now. Um, and so I'll get into why. Yeah, but but it's interesting because it's not like we have better, better alternatives that have been newly invented. It's that we kind of, the evidence has changed because I can remember, and I suspect the same is true for you, Avi, as an internist, I went through medical school and residency, and it was like, I'm an internist, I am a normal saline person. You are a surgeon, you are an LR person. It was this very dichotomous thing. Um, oh, so I it might be helpful. Like two years ago, yeah. <laughs> Before salted came out, yeah. <laughs> well, and the reality is, I think to some extent, it's still true. Um, I think if you walk onto a medicine ward, you're still good, you're still more likely to get saline than, an L- than LR, although that is clearly shifting. So it might be helpful for us to hear a little bit about uh, the history of like why saline um, became the predominant fluid, how it came to be just in general. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So saline was originally used in the 1830s by um, a Scottish physician named Thomas Lada. He used it to treat cholera patients during an epidemic that affected most of Europe at that time. And his uh, solution contained sodium at 134 millimoles per liter, chloride at 118, and bicarb at 16 millimoles per liter. And that's very different than what we have today, where uh, our quote-unquote normal saline is 154 millimoles per liter of sodium and chloride. And so the composition of the current kind of 0.9% saline that we use was actually developed by a Dutch chemist named Jacob Hamburger. And it was based on an erroneous assessment of the composition of mammalian blood. He called it, quote unquote, normal, which actually probably helped it gain widespread use, even though it's definitely not normal. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that this this Dr. Lada, he, he saw a problem and he came up with a solution. Uh, what are kind of some of the differences between... <laughs> What are some of the differences between saline and uh, balanced fluids or so-called balanced solutions like lactated ringers? So for some historical perspective, Sidney Ringer invented his famous solution in the 1880s. And this was a time when IV fluids were kind of a drug du jour. New ones were popping up all the time. Um, His solution had sodium, chloride, potassium, bicarb, and calcium. And he actually titrated the amounts to allow an explanted frog heart to continue beating. And so when he got that solution just right, all the different concentrations, that was how he determined his um, his ringer's solution. I repeat. It's the typical way to yeah. know that the solution is working. The, does, <laughs> is the frog heart still beating? Yeah, I reiterate, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the 1880s, I don't know, would you have done it differently? I mean... <laughs> No, why? Well, I actually have no idea. I always really feel for the animals, like banting and best in their dog pancreases. I just, oh. 
Well, so in the 1930s, a pediatrician named Alexis Hartman added lactate as another source of bicarb buffer because lactate is metabolized to bicarb by the liver. So that's how we get the lactated ringers that we have today. Um, and so LR, lactated ringers, has a pH of 6.5, whereas saline's at 5.5 from some dissolved carbon dioxide. Um, and other than the extra electrolytes and lactate, um, LR actually has significantly less chloride than saline. It's at 109 versus 154 millimoles per liter. So do, do these differences in the uh, the pH and the chloride and the other differences, do they end up being clinically um, relevant? Are they saline it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to move on. So... Um, <laughs> So there are so so to answer your question, Tony. So there are multiple studies showing an association between saline use and acute kidney injury. Some are negative, and some show a um, that balanced solutions are superior. I don't know of any that show that saline is better from a renal function standpoint. And um, one of the bigger trials and most significant that um, suggested that um, saline increases the risk of AKI compared to balanced solutions like lactated ringers is the SALTED trial. That's the S-A-L-T-E-D, SALTED trial. Um, so that was published in the New England Journal. And these were um, emergency room patients who needed IV fluid and they didn't go to the ICU. So they weren't critically ill. And they either got balanced fluid or like lactated ringers or plasmolite, or they got saline. And so they looked at a secondary outcome that showed um, of major adverse renal events within 30 days. And they, there was um, a statistically significant difference between saline and the balanced fluids um, with an odds ratio of 4.7 versus 5.6 for these major adverse renal events. And, and that was favoring, favoring the LR. Correct, correct. And again, this was like a... Um, uh, a lot of patients that they enrolled in the study to be able to detect that difference. So do we have any idea of the mechanism behind it? This is a huge trial, but do we know why? So like I mentioned before, you know, there are significantly different levels of chloride in fluids like plasmolite or lactated ringers, which are both around 100 millimoles per liter, and saline, which we said was at 154. And so the answer seems to be there. And so before I started reading this, you know, I had a vague notion of chloride as this. I actually kind of envisioned it as a nephrotoxic ion, which like in retrospect really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's what I was walking around with. And, you know, I'm interested to hear kind of what you guys thought was the mechanism of this before. It's so interesting because I always looked at chloride as this um, sort of muted ion who just like sat in the background and went up and down as sodium went up and down and but like didn't do anything. So actually, I I, I would not have um, assumed or proposed that chloride was the the evil player here until I, I I sort of learned it so I didn't have a proposed mechanism frankly I certainly I certainly wasn't blaming chloride <laughs> yeah it's such a throwback to the contraction alkalosis episode uh, I am lucky enough that actually going to med school in the era of salted has meant that this trial I have read in like so many evidence-based medicine classes which is fantastic so um I had sort of a vague idea that chloride was involved in something about sensing and volume. That's about it. Yeah, so so Avi, what is chloride doing so dastardly? So it turns out that chloride can decrease renal perfusion and glomerular filtration rate. And this was first studied in dogs in 1983. So they inf this group infused high chloride-containing fluids um, into these dogs, and it actually decreased the renal perfusion and the glomerular filtration rate 
by anywhere from 10 to 16%. So granted, this was in dogs and they infused it, uh, the fluids directly into the renal artery, which is not how um, we do this in clinical practice. Um, but it's it's it suggested that there was an adverse kind of physiological effect of the chloride because that was really the only difference. So how does the chloride actually affect renal perfusion? Does it have to do with sort of volume signaling? Do we know? So that that's correct. So functionally, I think that is why chloride decreases renal perfusion. It's like a signal to the kidney that it has adequate perfusion or maybe even is overperfused. That's a teleological theory, though, so we can't prove that. But the actual mechanism seems to be related to what I think of as kind of an oft-learned, but for me, little-remembered structure called the macula densa that um, I definitely had to um, refresh myself on on where where it is in the kidney and what its function is. Are you guys having flashbacks to kind of first-year physiology? or Isn't it juxtaglomerular? Isn't that JG? Yeah, I've got like uh, visions of uh, beautiful H&E stains of glomeruli flashing through my head. <laughs> Uh, they're beautiful. I cannot label them. <laughs> so the macula densa is in the distal convoluted tubule, and it is immediately adjacent to the afferent glomerular arterioles. So the arterioles that are headed into the kidney, bringing blood to the kidney. And the macula densa cells sense sodium and chloride levels in the distal convoluted tubule. So if the kidney um, sees increased sodium and chloride levels in the distal convoluted tubule, the macula densa will sense that and decreases renal blood flow and glomerular filtration rate by inducing renal afferent arterial vasoconstriction. So it constricts the blood vessels um, that bring blood to the kidney in response to that sodium chloride load. So the macula densa sees this increased chloride load and says, we're good on volume. We don't need any more. And then that induces renal afferent arterial or vasoconstriction? Yes. So the first thing that happens is the macula densa cells actually swell if you look at them histologically. But then at the cellular level, chloride actually induces the opening of an ion channel that releases ATP. So chloride directly opens this channel. ATP flows out to the nearby um, afferent arteriole. And um, that and the ATP is what causes vasoconstriction. And it um, causes a reduction, therefore, in renal blood flow and glomerular filtration rate. And this is called tubuloglomerular feedback. And it acts like a form of almost like autoregulation for the kidney so that it can control its own perfusion in response to, to volume loads. So given what you've told us about the potential um, negative effects of all this excess chloride, how is it that... Um, normal saline became the like IV fluid du jour and like and maintained that like as the top fluid for decades and decades and decades like I just I'm not really understanding how it took us this long to figure out that this fluid is problematic yeah I don't know for sure I mean there are probably a lot of reasons so one I mean it's salt water right it's historically been very cheap so um you know I don't know that lactate ringers has you know, you know, been necessarily that much more, but, um, you know, saline has been very cheap. Uh, a lot of the data about the potential adverse effects on kidney function compared to other fluids is also relatively recent. And as weird as this may sound, you know, and this gets into the psychology a little bit of providers, but it's easier to say, hang the saline versus hang the lactated ringers. And so, you know, that I wonder about just, it's just when you're reaching for something, it's easy to say, hang the saline. And, you know, lastly, I really do wonder about Jacob Hamburger's use of the term quote unquote normal when he 
formulated his, you know, the modern sailing that we use now and calling attaching this word normal sailing to it, you know, how much of a, an effect that's had on, on ordering physicians ever since for the last, you know, decades. I feel like that last piece probably psychologically, you know, for the, for an internist like me, it's like, oh, I'm ha- I'm hang, let's hang some normal saline. Like this is the thing to, to do. Whereas, you know, lactated ringers, what is that? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't ask for anyone to lactate my ringer solution. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you've covered a lot. Um, we've kind of taken chloride down a notch, um, at least in my eyes. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't covered um, that you would think would be kind of helpful for us to um, hear a little bit more about on this topic? So, you know, there's some really interesting, but honestly speculative data about saline that may incre- that it may increase inflammatory responses compared to lactated ringers. And this was specifically studied in pancreatitis, but um, like things like CRP levels and stuff. But in in sepsis, um, you know, which is often like at least in internal medicine, you know, uh, often what we are you know using IV fluids for. Um, who, who knows? You know, I don't think we really that that question hasn't been answered. So I didn't I didn't really delve too much into that. Yeah, the pancreatitis issue is interesting because at least from what I understand the. The lower your pH, the more activated the pancreatic enzymes are, and so that's one potential mechanism. Is that saline has a propensity to to cause a um, uh, an acidosis more so than LR, and so if that sort of adds fuel to these pancreatic enzymes, it might worsen the pancreatitis, and you might see it reflected by the increase in CRP or the slower decline in CRP. And I feel like that, you know, pancreatitis was, um, like I remember in residency when, uh, like you said, like we did unfortunately use a lot of saline, um, when we had an admission with pancreatitis, um, lactated ringers was often, um, the fluid that we would reach for, I think, because of some of the favorable data specifically with that, um, condition, but yeah. And, and, you know, if I think about how I, I, decide between um, saline and LR now as a as an internist um, I still f- I think I still use more saline but that's because I'm often using very low doses you know 500 a liter you know and I think when I'm getting up to more than uh, one and a half or two liters that's when I typically say to the team you know let's let's make sure we're not using exclusively saline because of all of these um, all these concerns, but at, at lower amounts, like 500 cc's, I think the issues probably are less apparent. I'm not sure if you would agree with that, Avi. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I yeah. Uh, I mean, in the like I said, I work more in the ICU where we have patients are already acidotic and already in yeah. renal failure, and it just feels like have a let me inject some nephrotoxin into you. I don't know. <laughs> and, and that's it's the amazing thing is that it's so hard for me to give up on something I'm so comfortable having used for over 10 years, you know, despite um, data suggesting that it's an inferior uh, treatment. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons not to use normal saline. What are the indications that you guys think about it for in patients who might need a higher volume? I think the two situations that I use it for still are hypovolemic hyponatremia because of the, you know, the excess free water that you get with the lactated ringers that you want to avoid there. And then also contraction alkalosis from someone like uh, who's been vomiting a lot um, because actually, you know, you might help normalize their pH a little bit with the, um, with the, the saline. What about you, Tony? Uh, Similar, uh, you know, the old habits die hard. 
And so I find myself still um, turning to saline when it's going to be low volume. Right. So for, uh, the classic example is a patient who has, uh, who's a little hypotensive and I feel like they might need a, little, a bolus of 500 cc's. I'll, I'll give them 500 cc's of saline. And uh, it's typically when the, the doses creep up to two liters or more when I'll, I'll, I'll reach for LR. And that may not be the, the correct move, and it may be that I'm just simply having trouble giving up something I'm so comfortable and am so used to using for so many years. It feels normal. It feels yeah. normal, right? <laughs> it really does. I mean, it's it's in in all of my residency, other than like acetaminophen and unfortunately docusate, I feel like saline was probably the thing I gave more often than anything else. And so, to be told that for all even melatonin, okay, a melatonin that's that's yeah, a new that's kid on new, the block. That's new. <laughs> So it feels like, oh my gosh, for all those years I was doing it wrong, um, that kind of a, eh, it's frustrating to hear, but you know, that's kind of what these studies are yeah. for. No, I, I've, I have memories as, as a, as a resident, just pumping saline into septic patients and <laughs> I, I rue the day, you know, but <laughs> yeah. All right. So Abby, can you give us some take home points kind of broadly from this episode? So your normal saline is not normal. Um, it's not even really physiologic. There's evidence that uh, inc- of increased renal injury associated with its use compared to balanced uh, forms of IV fluid like lactated ringers. And the higher chloride levels from saline in saline cause um, afferent renal arterial vasoconstriction due to signaling from the macula densa, which I had to review extensively for this episode. <laughs> All right. So that's it for today's episode. Next time on the podcast, we're going to ask the question, why does myocardial ischemia lead to dyspnea? In the meantime, thank you again for joining us. If you have an interesting tutorial or online meta teaching point you think we should feature on the show, tag us on Twitter. I'm at Hannah R. Abrams. And I'm at Avraham Cooper, MD. And I'm at Tony underscore Brew. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. As a reminder, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. The Curious Clinicians are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer continuing education and ABIM maintenance of certification credits for physicians. Tap the link in the show notes or visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curiousclinicians for more information.